Welcome uh, once again to One Life Community Church. Uh, it is an absolute joy to be with you all this morning. Uh, I'll say it one, uh, a second time, if I didn't already. My name's Rich, and uh, I am one of the co-lead pastors here. Uh, and it's a, it's a great honor, uh, especially around the holidays, to get to speak, because uh, there's, there's a lot of not good Christmas conversations out there by as you study and put things together and you look at how other people teach um, around the holidays, and sometimes it's just not super helpful, and we miss the point. And um, I really consider it uh, humbling that you would trust us and our staff to do so. Um, as you arrived, you should have received a bulletin. Inside that bulletin on the right side is an open space for you to jot down thoughts and questions, verses, whatever. There's also an insert this time with a bunch of questions that are going to come out of our conversation for the day. It's designed so when they come up on the screen, you don't feel like you have to write them down, and it's something you can use later. So just want to make sure you know that there's an added kind of set of conversational questions there as we dive in. Today we are in week four of our Advent sermon series entitled The Voices of Advent. And if you've missed any of our past ones, I highly recommend you going back to listen to them because they have been fantastic. Um, and both Brian and Greg, they both got to communicate how much they love this season. I don't know how it is for you, but every year as we enter into this time, I find myself marveling at the power of the scripture narrative of this time and how it stands in utter contrast from the way our world enters into this time and even how I was raised to enter into this time in the culture. There's so much about the season that I love and that I look forward to, and yet I'm also reminded that the way we decorate, the way we give gifts, the Christmas lights, the Christmas tree, Santa Claus, the food we eat, when we even celebrate Christmas, the colors that come to mind, the songs we sing, the images of snowflakes and jingle bells, you name it, everything that comes to our mind about this time of year in general for the most part, has nothing to do with the actual time we're looking at. The story of the birth of Christ. And in fact, there's far more time in our history where none of the things that come to mind about this season were ever even a thought as they are to us. And yet we practice them and we enter into them. And this is why we always try to provide these Advent resources, because it's our way of helping us focus in on and engage on the true narrative and how it is absolutely contrary to what we see in these days. Now today we're going to be looking at a bunch of scripture, but particularly the Gospel of Luke, my favorite of the stories. Um, and part of the reason why I love Luke's telling of it is because uh, the cast of characters. Luke was the only evangelist who was not Jewish. And his gospel is beautifully inclusive. He's the evangelist that was designed for the outcast and the outsider. And as a result, in his birth narrative, you have everyone. You have Mary, you have Jesus, you have Joseph, you have shepherds, you have angels. Even Caesar gets communicated about. The ones missing are the wise men. Um, they come out later with their own holiday around Epiphany, which may or may not land on my birthday. Not that you need to keep note of that or anything. Um, but I love this narrative um, because you see the world truly spread out in it before us. Every single person in the story is invited to the stable, 
because of Jesus. And beyond the setting and beyond the sentiment, there is a truth that lies in all of these stories that is also in the heart of every single one of us, including me. It's a truth that's at our core. And we find it in the scriptures right in the beginning, the first words that are spoken. It's this voice of this Advent season that says, do not be afraid. Fear not. And we all need to hear this. And what's cool is that the voice gets even better. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. A Savior has been born for you, who is Christ the Lord. I love that there's both you and all. These are the words that we all have been longing for. With this moment, the course of human history has changed forever. God becomes one of us. The Savior's very name proclaims this incredible truth that no one thought was possible. Emmanuel, God is with us. It's this amazingly stunning thought, and yet it's also quite overwhelming. And yet the voice of the Spirit tells us to fear not. And for over 2,000 years, these words, this voice has been reaching out to everyone, just like the outward movement of the Holy Spirit in and through followers of Jesus has reached from Jerusalem to Seattle and beyond. Even now, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter your circumstances, this voice is reaching out saying, fear not. It's something we all need to hear. And so today we're going to look at three different times this voice of fear not comes into play in this scripture narrative and what it means to us right now as it reaches us in our current place. But before we do anything more, let me pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we've spent time in worship. We've spent time in prayer. We've spent time united around the communion table. And we recognize your presence here, Holy Spirit. And at this point, we ask that you would truly help us to hear from you. Help us to engage in the story anew. Help us to hear your words. And help us to know how to faithfully respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first fear we're going to look at comes to the shepherds. And it has to do with this fear of where we stand with God. And so if you have a Bible, you could turn it to Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. If not, that's okay. Uh, the, the text will be displayed up on the wall behind me, and it goes like this, Luke 2, 8 through 11. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened, as you would. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Now, one of the first things we see right off the bat is something we don't see very often, and that is an angel appearance. And immediately we are reminded that we really have no idea what angels look like. And I was going to throw up some pictures for you to see, but I want to just be clear. They are not chubby, bald, naked, baby angel creatures playing harps, sitting on clouds. That are not what angels look like. And I don't have a picture for you, but I want you to know these beings are fierce. 
and warlike creatures. And they're able to strike down a nation at God's command and yet be utterly submissive enough to God to go and care for and protect an innocent baby. These shepherds who are living out in the hills outside of Bethlehem were considered like the scum of the earth. They were hated and distrusted by society. These men were the social outcasts of the day. They were usually vulgar and dirty and smelly and unkept. And they were also religious outcasts. By virtue of their very jobs, they were defiled and considered unfit to participate in the ceremonies of the temple. So in other words, these people, in the eyes at the time, were separated from both God and man. No one wanted anything to do with them. And it's important to remember that even the most loved and honored people of the world at this time have always displayed fear when they are confronted with the reality of God because coming face to face with the Almighty has a way of making one face up with who they really are in the presence of a holy God. Isaiah the prophet has a vision of the Lord with the angels around him. Listen to the words that he uses to describe this. He says, Woe to me! I cried, I am ruined. I love the exclamation marks. Let's accentuate it. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah, in the presence of God and these angelic beings, is confronted with the truth of who he is in the face of the holiness, and he thinks he's going to be destroyed. Now think of that in the context of these shepherds who are considered by everyone as the very least, the bottom of society. It is absolute no wonder why they would be terrified as they stand before this being. Now, there's more power to this story, because back in this time, when Jesus lived, whenever a family would give birth to a child, it was common if they had any financial means to hire a herald. And I want to be clear, it's not a nanny named Harold. Um, uh, but a herald was a person who would go out and would announce the birth of their child. Especially if they had a firstborn son. They'd make a really big deal about it because it was a symbol of God's blessing of the family name and how it would continue. And so they would hire a herald to announce the good news that this child was born. And that's what God's doing here. God sends an angel to Herod to announce the good news. But what's really interesting is who God sends the angels to. Because if you think about it, if you're God and you're having your son born on this earth, who would you go to first to announce this? I mean, logistically, in my mind, I'm going to go to royalty. I'm going to go to the kings, whatever it is. If not, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. But instead, the shepherds are the first to hear from the angels that this special child has been born. They're absolutely terrified when the angel appears, and rightfully so. They think they're about to be destroyed, but instead they are told to not be afraid, to fear not. That's the words they get. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, including you, including me including everyone outside this room. 
from the very edge of society, they are entrusted with this message. The very people who had the most fear of where they stood before God are the people that God came to first to announce this world-changing message. Now, the reason these shepherds felt this strong fear was because they felt distant and disconnected from most of all society, and especially with God. Because according to society, they were told that they were unworthy, they were told they were inadequate, and that they were unlovable. And every single person at some point struggles with feelings of unworthiness and inadequacy and the fear of not being fully loved. All of us have experienced this at one time or another. You might feel it right now. We've all experienced what it's like to be treated poorly as less than or unworthy. And we felt what it's like to be unwelcomed, to be treated as if you're uncool or uninvited. And that's for regular people. Can you imagine how these fears would be magnified in the light of God's holiness? Now, it's one thing to feel unworthy, inadequate, and unlovable with your friends or with your family. But can you imagine the absolute fear that would be induced in the presence of the God of the universe? Have you ever thought what the God of the universe thinks of when they see you? What does God think of when he sees you? And the truth is, most of us aren't even thinking about the fact that God is even aware of our existence. And for many people, if we do ponder that, we don't think that God's opinion of us is all that favorable. And sadly, that's how most people deep down secretly feel. But I want you to hear this good news, because the good news of the appearance of the angels to the shepherds tells us that no matter how insignificant you may think you are, that God knows you and you are important to him, that the good news is that this Savior is for everyone. And it's this message that has been reaching outward for everyone to hear, including us. And like the shepherds, we too are called to herald, to announce it to everyone. Verse 15 continues and says this, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. It's this wonderful example of people acting in faith in the word of God. They heard the message and they did something about it. And they didn't know anything about what stood before them. They trusted what God had said and went and checked it out without having any of the details. It's an amazing picture of faith. And then it goes on, verse 16. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as, they, as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this Christ. The shepherds didn't run from one of the biggest fears they could ever experience. Instead, they experienced God's incredible grace and were transformed. They no longer saw themselves the way the world had, but the way God saw them. They understood that they were indeed lovable and worthy and far more than capable. And so they responded in faith to share this good news with everyone. Amazing. 
So with that, this first kind of fear not story, I want you to ponder a couple questions. And again, these are on your insert, so you don't have to write them down. But when it comes to this fear, where you stand before God, I want you to think about this. In what ways might you feel distant from God? What steps do you need to take to focus less on religion and tradition and more on your relationship and the story and your experience of who Christ is in your life? And third, how have you been changed by the good news of Jesus? Now, again, these are written on your sheet of paper. You don't have to write these down or even answer them right now. These are for you to wrestle with and ask throughout the week. Now, there's a second fear story that comes up, and this one comes to Joseph. These words, fear not, and it has to do with what others might think of you. So in this second fear not story, we see Joseph, and Joseph is in a battle with the opinions of people. He has to decide between doing what is easy and what is right, between what people would want him to do and what God wants him to do. And it's all rooted around fear, particularly the fear of what others might think of us. So just as a real quick survey, how many of you would say you care about what other people think about you? If you do, raise your hand, raise it high, now hold it up. Now if there's anyone around you who doesn't have their hands up right now, you could look at them and say, you fear what other people think of you, that's why you're not raising your hand. A reason why that is is because every single one of us at some point or another, if not right in this very moment, fears what other people think. And we we see the same fear in Joseph. So for some context, Joseph is engaged to be married to a young teenage virgin girl named Mary. And in this time in history, engagements were a lot different from they are today. If you were engaged back then and things got weird... You could just break off the engagement. That happens right now. But back in this time, an engagement was actually a legal binding agreement. You would be engaged for a year. And in that time, if you wanted to break off the engagement, you actually had to file for divorce. So the only way to get out of an engagement during this time would be to get divorced or to die. And the engagement was so serious that if one of the two people involved died the other one would be considered a widow or a widower. So with that in mind, as we look at the text this time in Matthew, we see this in Matthew chapter 1. It says this, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, you can just read this. But if you try to get into the minds of Joseph and Mary, you have to admit this had to be a very odd conversation to have, right? Can you imagine when Mary sits down with her fiancé and says, Joey, honey, I got something to tell you. I'm pregnant because she's going to sound like an Italian from Brooklyn. Um, don't jump to conclusions. The good news is it's from the Holy Spirit, right? So Joseph, what does Joseph say? No idea. How long did it take for you to come up with this story, Mary? Really? You're going to give me the Holy Spirit thing? I saw how that guy was checking you out at the well, right? I don't know what it is. It's going to be crazy. But at this point, when Joseph hears this, he's basically got two options, considering that this 
situation with the Holy Spirit didn't actually happen. Joseph's faced with two options. One is the girl is crazy. Two is she's a liar. Now, no one wants to marry someone who's crazy. No one wants to marry someone who's a liar. And so at this point, Joseph's going to be asking himself, okay, if I stay with this girl, what's everybody going to say to me? What are they going to think of me? What are they going to think about us? And from Mary's perspective, she's already culturally marked. This was a sin. During this time of age, to be pregnant out of wedlock was punishable by death, stoned to death. From Joseph's perspective, he's marked for the rest of his life. If he's the guy that got her pregnant or she got pregnant with someone else, then from that point on, he's going to find it hard to find a job. If he divorces her then, at that point... No other father is going to want to bless his daughter to be married to him. And culturally, he may even find it difficult to get a job and do business with others. So we don't know what is really going on in their minds. We can't do that. But the text is very clear that Joseph is bailing out of this relationship. He's done. He either doesn't believe her uh, or he doesn't want to take the heat, but he thinks about it and he's out. And the scriptures go on to tell us that. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, all the commentaries generally, if you read, say this whole divorcing quietly was actually a noble and honoring thing to do. And I tend to agree. He's thinking to himself... I don't want to go around and expose her to public shame. I'm not going to go screaming out to everybody. She cheated on me, stoned her to death. I believe Joseph truly loves her and cares about her and thinks something like maybe she can just go have this baby somewhere else, hopefully start over, and so can I, and we can move on. But it's in this place where God enters and addresses the fear And teaches a hard truth we all need to know. And that is that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be obedient to God's will, it will often mean disappointing someone else, if not many. And so here's how the story goes, continues in verse 20. But after Joseph had considered all this, in other words, he's, he's thinking about the pros and cons. He's thinking about this, this story. The cons of staying with her outweigh the pros. So he's going to break up with her and move on. After he considers all of this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I love the next verse goes on. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So it's at this moment, Joseph wakes up from his dreams. You have to imagine this ridiculously crazy amount of swinging of emotions, right? On one side, he's thinking, oh, my goodness. For centuries and centuries, it's been prophesied that the Messiah would come. And here an angel of the Lord has told me that I get to be a part of the greatest event in history. And then all of his emotions swing over here and goes, oh, my goodness, what are people going to say about this? What is this going to cost me? On the one hand, I get to possibly be a part of the world being radically changed. On the other hand, how difficult is this going to be? Everyone around me is going to say, run for your life. Don't marry this girl who sinned and should be put to death. 
On the other hand, should I please God? Should I do what people want or should I do what God wants? And if you're a follower of Jesus, I can promise you this, that at different points in your life, you're going to be confronted with opportunities to faithfully obey God or to do something easier and try to win the approval of people. And it's not going to be an easy decision. And so with this fear, I want to give us a couple thoughts to consider. First is that here at One Life, I truly believe we have been in this wonderful place where we have been seeing and experiencing the leading of the Holy Spirit in new ways. And it's exciting. The Spirit has been calling us outward, reminding us, empowering us, moving us to share this good news, to be transformed by this good news, and to live out this good news in our day-to-day life. And as staff and as elders, I, am, I can't even really contain how excited I am for what's next. But the truth of the matter is that if we are consumed with what other people think about us, if we have fear about the way others are going to see us, we're going to miss what God has for us. And another way of saying it is this. If we're not ready to be criticized for our obedience to God... We're not ready to be used by God. And that is easier said than done. What we see here in the nativity story and throughout the scripture is this extraordinary thing that when God does extraordinary things, it often starts with ordinary, simple acts of faithful obedience. Matthew 1, 24 says this, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So with this second fear that has to do with what other people think of you, again, on your insert, there's a couple voices of questions that I would love for you to reflect upon this week. The first one is, how might you be obsessed by what other people think of you? Or you might just be aware there's certain places where you go where that's the case. The second is, describe a time when you were criticized for your obedience to God and what you learned from that experience. And the third one is, what has God put on your heart, and what ordinary act of obedience do you need to take? Again, those are already written down. You don't have to try to write them down. Just hold on to those. Now, third fear that we're going to look at. I'll try to get through this quick. This fear comes, this fear not voice comes to Mary. And this fear not voice is coming to address this idea of what God asks you to do and our fear of those. And one of my favorite verses about this is in 2 Timothy. It says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. But I don't know about you, if I'm being honest, we're fearful people. And not only that, if I'm being really honest, for the most part, I like to make my own decisions. I like to make my own plans. I like to pursue my own goals and my own dreams. And it's usually the rare case when I don't know what's going on and I'm not sure, I'm not confident in what I'm supposed to do. It's then when I think about asking God what I should do. Why is that? I'm sure it has something to do with me and us all thinking we know what's best for ourselves, right? Like we think we know what's best, we know what we like so we can make these decisions. But more than that, deeper than that, I think at the core, we are all fearful of what God might ask us to do. 
I think if we're often honest, we often treat God like we treat that annoying person who's always wants something from us, right? We see the phone ring, and we know who that person is. We know they're calling to ask us for something, so we just let it go to voicemail. Or, or we're out in public, and we see that one neighbor, and so we kind of stay on the other side of the street, hoping not to make contact with them. Or we're at the grocery store, and all of a sudden we look, and we're like, oh, yeah, I forgot something down here. And we're like trying to make that run, right? Or there's the homeless situation in our city, where it feels like every single direction you turn, there's someone there wanting something from us. And so we put our head down, and we don't make eye contact. And sometimes I think unknowingly, many of us, including myself, treat God this way. We want to be close enough to get the good stuff, right? I want the promises of heaven. I want his blessings. But I don't want to be so surrendered to God that he has total access to every area of my life because I don't want him to do something that I don't want to do. He might make me go to Africa, right? He might make me give up something I enjoy. He might ask me to give money to someone or something when it's my money. And sometimes there's this sense of fear of kind of this, what if I give all to him and then life doesn't go the way I want it to go? And this fear can be overwhelming and it can overtake us. But honestly, why are we afraid of God's plans? Well, I think there's a number of things that come into play. One is that I think God's interruptions often come and feel inconvenient. And that's no shocker for this story. In Luke 1, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, with exclamation marks. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, out of her mind, freaking out, crazy, what in the world, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. There's an additional translation there uh, by me. Uh, As a 13 to 14-year-old girl, there's absolutely nothing about this situation that feels convenient. Everything the shepherds felt about not being worthy, Mary's feeling. Everything Joseph felt about what others might think of her is also present here for Mary. And on top of those two fears, we have this absolute interruption that is not leading to anything convenient. So she's absolutely out of her mind, confused, disturbed. She's full of fear. But again, the Lord says, do not be afraid, Mary. Fear not, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. So what do we learn from this? Greg last week taught us about Mary and how she was this woman who made space for God. And it's in that space and it's in this story that we learn something important. And that is that what we often consider as interruptions, God sees as invitations. Those times that we feel like God is interrupting us, he's often actually inviting us to something higher, something better, something different, far more amazing than we could ever imagine. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Moses, what did God do with Moses? He interrupts a regular day with a burning bush and invites Moses to become the deliverer of God's people, not his plan. Jonah, 
God interrupted Jonah swimming to the shore with who knows how big of a fish uh, and invites him to go back and do what he was supposed to do, which was preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. In the New Testament, Saul, when he's off killing Christians, God interrupts his flow with this giant light from heaven and invites Saul to become the author of much of the New Testament and an apostle to anyone who'd listen to him about the grace of Jesus. None of this was their plan. God interrupted plans with an invitation to something far more amazing. And I believe that the church and us as individuals often shake off God's invitations calling them interruptions when God really wants to do something new and different in our lives. Imagine what it would be like if we made a little more space in our life to engage these things that feel like interruptions and and think about them as an invitation. I, I truly believe this is part of what we're experiencing right now as a church. And to be clear, these interruptions... These invitations, they're not always these giant-sized, angelic, angel-induced, crazy situation stories. They can absolutely, very often, if not all the time, be subtle. Holy Spirit movements or whispers in our moment-by-moment, day-to-day lives. They feel like an interruption at the moment, and they're an invitation. And the thing is, just like this story where this young girl had a picture of what life ahead looked like, she gets this incredible interruption, this incredible invitation from the Holy Spirit. And when faced with another truth that brings up for us, we need to remember, and that is that often God's purposes are often different from our plans. So we see how all of these fears then tie together, right? Where do I stand with God? I'm not worthy, yet the angel says I found favor with you, God. What others might think of me, I'm fearful of that. Do I do what God asked me to do or what the world asked me to do? And now God's changing my purposes and my plans, and I'm not only worried about this, but God's not giving me any kind of direction or explanation, and so this is crazy fearful. And when our lives don't go as we've planned, it's easy to fear that which is unknown. And yet I see it in Scripture all the time. God will allow things to happen in our life that seem to be hard to bear and hard to understand, yet the Lord sends them our way so that we might grow in him and come to know him better. And when these times arise, it's so easy for us to question everything about God and his judgment. Now, if you just pause and think about Mary, right, her situation, if Mary were being a part of this plan by God, she faces the possibility of having her engagement to Joseph broken. She knew that Joseph would have the legal right to have her executed if the truth came out. Even if somehow Joseph would still marry her, she knew how people would talk, right, that they'd have a reputation of being sexually promiscuous. Absolutely none of this is an ideal situation or convenient for a young Jewish girl at this time. But God calls on Mary to step out in faith in order to be a part of this crazy, divine, daring plan. But being a part of the plan would cost her. Yet Mary is still willing to step out in faith because she knew God loved her. She made space to connect with God often. And this is the difference between when God challenges us to step out in faith and the world 
asks us to take risks. Because in this world, sometimes those challenges to do something risky comes from those who don't really love us and don't really have our best in mind. And the challenge doesn't even have to be spoken, right? It could be an unspoken feel of peer pressure just to fit in with the crowd. Or it may just come out of purely selfish motives, right? That we've all been in that position and felt one time or another. But I want us to hear, right? The God of the universe won't challenge us to do something just for fun. He won't pressure us to do something just to fit in with a crowd. God loves us and only wants what's best for us. And God is not going to manipulate us and then laugh at us when we fall on our face. Now, one final note on this that I love is that Mary, after hearing all this, asks questions. She wanted to know how this was going to happen, rightfully so. However, Mary didn't let her questions stop her, right? She said yes to the part of the plan that God had given her. But when God challenges you to move out in faith, it's important to know that you can ask questions. It's okay to say, God, this is a great idea How are we supposed to get there? And I love that we get an answer to Mary, uh, and he will give you one, but it's really important that you see and understand that God did not give Mary a whole lot of details, right? (laughs) I mean, Gabriel only gave Mary enough information so she could make a willing response to God's plan. And God will always give us just enough light for the path that is before us. The scriptures say it this way. And the angel replied to her question. The Holy Spirit, this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And it ends by saying, for nothing is impossible with God. In other words, the outcome, that is God's responsibility. All our responsibility is faithful obedience. And so how does Mary respond? Mary responds, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. So with this third voice of fear not, I'd encourage you to reflect on these few questions. And again, they're in your bulletin. How have you experienced the truth that God's purpose is different than your plans? Have you ever experienced that? What is God asking you to do or believe? That's not easy. And third, what first step of obedience will you take to accomplish what God is asking you to do? Now, again, don't write those down right now. Um, Those are there for you to take home. But I would like to invite our worship team to come forward. And as they do, I'd like to invite you to pull out your connection card because I do have one question I would love to hear from you about. So on your connection card on the back, there's some space there. And it's just one question. And uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing it with me, that would be great. As you leave, there's a wood box at each door. But the question is this. Which of these fears do you find yourself most gripped by and why? So the fears were the fear of where you stand with God the fear of what others might think of you, or the fear of what God is asking you to do. So pick which one of those you find yourself most gripped by and a sentence or two as to why. I would love for you just to take a moment to jot that down 
And know that our staff, we take these every week, and we read through them, and we pray through them, and, and I would truly love to hear from you. So as you do that, I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we're going to end with the song, and we'll be dismissed. And uh, thank you for sticking with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this Advent season we pause and again remember the real story of Christmas. We purposely make space to enter into and listen to your voice. The voice of your Holy Spirit reminding us through this incredible story to keep watch, to prepare, to magnify, and to fear not. God, help us to always be awake to your Holy Spirit at work around us. Help us to be better prepared to respond to your invitations. Help us to be people who live in such a way that we give you glory. And God, help us not to fear. This morning, God, we trust your goodness. We trust your grace. We trust that what you think of us is far more important than what others think of us. So God, we ask that you would help us to not be afraid to step out in faith, to live out the things that you are inviting us into. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.